Welcome to Next Economy Now. The goal of this podcast series is to highlight the leaders who are taking a regenerative, bioregional, equitable, democratic, racially just, and whole systems approach to creating the new economy. I'm Ryan Honeyman, a partner at Lyft Economy. My guest today is Jakarta Imani. Jakarta is a spiritually rooted coach and trainer with more than 30 years of experience working in racial, social, and economic justice movements. Prior to stepping into the CEO role, Jakarta was a senior coach and leadership team member at the Management Center, where he supported clients including Stacey Abrams, Fair Fight, and the California Immigrant Policy Center. He previously served for six years as executive director of the Ella Baker Center for Human Rights, taking over from the center's founder, Van Jones. In his 13 years there, he served as the lead strategist for some of the organization's most high-profile campaigns. He is blessed to share his life with his partner, Laura, and their blended family of six powerful and creative children. Jakarta, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Aaron. So let's start with a bit about your background and how did you first get interested in the work you're doing today? So born and raised in Oakland, and I came up during the height of the drug war. I saw firsthand what drugs did to people in uh, the black community, including folks in my own family, and wanted to do something about it. Saw how every single step of public policy made things worse, uh, treated people instead of as addicts or people who needed employment opportunities or drug treatment, but treated folks as, as criminals and throwaway, and got involved in doing youth leadership development and advocacy and organizing, and then worked my way up to being a leader in those organizations where... You know, I wasn't a good student, wasn't good at school, had dyslexia, wasn't seen as a, a valuable member of the school community. But folks in the in the social justice world and in the community saw me as a, a leader and invested in me and such. And that sort of distinction of like, oh, I got to do this work and got to have this path because folks invested in me and valued me has sort of like created this thing in me of giving that back to other people. And so... No matter what the work that I've done from organizing, community building, uh, being a funder, it's always been a sort of a thing in my, in the way that I do every job that I've ever had about like developing the leadership of other people, developing skills in other people, giving back to what I received when I was a young person. And so I've been looking for the last number of years for places to be able to do that more as what I did, which brought me to TMC that had a lot of overlap in what I thought organizations and movements needed in terms of not just leadership, but the skills, the tools, the mindsets to really be about investing and developing other people through the lever of management as the, the way to do that. I've stayed and <laughs> taken on more and more and more to try to help us do that better and better. Yeah, because you were a, a consultant first, right? Yeah. So how did you sort of work your way into the... Well, so my journey is unconventional in the sense that I've been about trying to help black folks get free for my entire adult life. And I haven't had a career as much as I've had, like, where can I be of most aid in that work? And so I did a little bit of consulting coming out of divinity school, where I was trying to help figure out, like, how can I be of use to different organizations? And where I was like, I don't really want to do this by myself. This is kind of boring. And, and, and I don't think I have all the answers. And a friend introduced me to the management center and to Cindy Kang there, who was leading the coaching team. And I got to, to talk, start talking with Cindy and then 
the founder of the, the, the management center, Jerry, about what their vision was for the next phase of, of TMC. And it felt like there was a great deal of overlap. Okay. And so what is the management center, like just for folks who don't know, and why was it started? Yeah. So the management center was founded 16 years ago to really help progressive organizations hone their skills around how do you drive towards results? How do you like center? What are you trying to do in the world? And the founder of the management center had on his own put together a sort of set of best practices, tools, skills, mindsets that he felt like was useful. And over the last 15 years have brought more and more folks to do that. So we train about 10,000 folks a year on the core basis of management and what it means to be a manager. How do you manage equitably, sustainably, and center results? And then we train about 2,000 folks a year on project management, how to be a, a good staff member. And then we coach a couple hundred organizations a year at an in-depth, in-depth level or thinking about what's going to be the thing that actually helps them level up. Is it hiring? Is it bringing in the right folks? Is it deepening their skills around feedback or delegation or bringing on the right folks and really setting up new systems and structures to be successful? Um, yeah, and there's about now 50 plus of us all over the country with a, a, a home office in D.C. And you're, you're based in Oakland. Yeah, I'm still currently in Oakland. Yeah, yeah. you're still in Oakland. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I saw your, is it, is it a Red Bay coffee shirt? Yeah, yeah. Every morning, me and, me and Red Bay. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so I wanted to give a personal shout out to, to you and Management Center just for how helpful you've been in my, my own personal development and then our team's development. Before we started recording, I was telling Jakarta, I've done their two-day Managing to Change the World training, which is excellent, the equitable hiring training. I'm going to be doing a Managing for Racial Equity, Inclusion, and Results training. And we've based, we're currently hiring for someone and we've based our entire process on the management center's process. And I did do a free coaching call as well. So I've done like everything, <laughs> like everything that you guys offer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> You're doing it all. Yeah. You're like a super user. You're a super user. I love it. I love it. It's, you know, uh, folks who go through our crash course, we have, uh, the entire time I've been there, offered a free 30-minute coaching call. And I would say like 98% of the people who go through your training don't use it. They just, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Like, I don't think they think we mean it or I, I don't know. I've, 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 I've tried to figure out like, how do we get people to, to take us up on that? Cause I think it's, uh, uh, it's such a, it's such a gift. Um, but yeah, I'm glad you did it because mo most people for reasons I don't understand do not. Uh, I think if everyone did it, we couldn't staff it anyway. So that's why I've not pushed it, but, but still it's, it's just, yeah, it's a gift. Yes. Curious, what, what do you see as patterns in progressive organizations? Like, what are some of the big needs? I mean, you, you have these sections like hiring, managing for racial equity, et cetera. And I'm curious, is there, what are like the most used templates or trainings or things like that that you see from progressive org organizations? Well, a slightly different questions. I'll, I'll tell you about the biggest need, um, and then and then I'll try to think about what are the the, the most downloaded things, which are not uh, often the same. But the biggest thing that we see is that folks get into the work because they care, and and then they are good at a thing. They are good at program design. They are good at uh, campaigning. They are great at organizing. They're an amazing teacher or principal because we also work with schools, and then all of a sudden they are promoted to managing other people who now do those things. And what made you, for me, that, that was as a, as a, a youth worker, 
doing service learning work in schools in San Francisco, I was really good at getting students and teachers and uh, administrators aligned around service learning projects that would actually benefit the community and young people would learn. And then all of a sudden I was responsible for three or four other people who were doing the same thing. And what made me good at that was not the same skill set I needed to help people do that work themselves. And so there is a, there's a skill set shift that has to happen. And most folks aren't prepared for that or groomed for that. They are prepared and groomed and get good at being an individual contributor. And then all of a sudden they're thrown into, now I have to get the best out of others. Um, and that is a mindset shift. And, and we find that that is the biggest thing. That if we, if we can, uh, if we can get folks there, get folks to think about the role of management is, is a competency and a skill set in and of itself. Um, that, that's an aha. And folks just then get better. It's like, as opposed to like, um, just seeing it as like a, a bother, a distraction from the work. Um, which, you know, in uh, most for-profit settings, people would never think that way. But in, in it's like, we came to do the work. And so then we are like, other folks are kind of in the way a little bit <laughs> all of a sudden when you're managing, as opposed to like, oh no, this is now how I do the work. The work is actually getting them really good at this particular thing. And so that is the thing that we, we sort of like uh, try to ground in first is that this is, that's a mindset shift about how you do the work. I think the second is uh, the, the stuff that people download uh, or are most interested in often is the stuff around how do you get feedback? How do you really um, offer uh, a really good, crisp, balanced, thoughtful developmental suggestions? How do you give hard feedback? The other stuff is... Seesaw, right? Seesaw, yes. Connect, connect, share, ask wrap up the seesaw method is super helpful and just giving people those tools so that they can like oh okay here's how i go about doing that and then giving it to them in different levels where it's like here's a here's a positive feedback you're doing this really well here's a developmental ex- uh, suggestion about how to improve your results and then here's the thing where i'm just kind of really like you can't you know <laughs> bright line feedback like you can't do this anymore and work here like you you need to do this differently is really important um i think the other stuff is some of the hiring rubrics and around or developing roles that we have, people are often like, okay, if I can really set this person up for success. And so think about that, that stuff. And then, you know, for what it's worth, I think the stuff that have, we find this about everything, the stuff that have really catchy mocha is like a thing that everybody uses and is probably our most talked about tool is a project management tool. Um, uh, that uses the acronym MOCA that really uh, helps you chart out, map out um, complex uh, sets of activities and assign people into different roles so that it can be as smooth as possible with uh, the manager, the, uh, the owner, the consulted, the helpers, and the approver being like really sort of detailed out. I think one of the popular misconceptions is because there can only be, we, we recommend there only be one owner. People think there can oftentimes only be one approver. And that's not, that's not true at all. The approver sometimes is the board. The approver sometimes is the staff is going to decide. Um, the approver can be a, a, a broad group of people. 
or one person, but the owner, the person who's really responsible for the success or failure of that project, we often find that that should be one person just so we can, you're not working at cross purposes or confused about who's doing what. I would say as sort of someone who's looked at templates for businesses or, you know, nonprofits, I think what sets the management center apart is both the quality of the templates and free tools and thought put into them, but also centering racial equity, which is perhaps unique amongst a lot of the tools I've found. Like you can go online and get like a fastcompany.com, like how do you develop a staff member, but it's not going to center racial equity or... And so has that always been part of the management center or is that sort of a newer piece that you guys have worked on? Yeah, great question. So I would say for the last six years, it's been an increasingly explicit portion of our work because I think initially it are a lot of our work was race, gender, class neutral, that it was sort of just assuming we're all on the same team and assuming we all know the same uh, uh, stuff and that we're being thoughtful. And what we learned over the course of uh, even prior to my, my, my time at the organization is that, that that's not the case, that um, identity, uh, power, uh, positional power, so, uh, identity power, we're all playing into what, what um, how clients were using our tools, using our concepts, um, experiencing our tools, experiencing our concepts. And um, we are quite rigorous. And so um, we would, uh, we evaluate every training. At the end of every training, we, we offer, a, 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 we survey everybody who went through the training. And we ask them about their experience of it and what they thought about it and how useful it was or wasn't. Um, and what we saw was uh, folks of color were not getting as much out of the trainings because it was like, well, there's a bunch of stuff you're not talking about. And uh, our colleagues decided that was not acceptable and that we wanted to uh, narrow that gap. And so uh, Bexa Huja and others uh, proceeded to try to figure out how do we talk about um, equity and belonging, uh, racial justice, in ways that are helpful and actionable and not just like, uh, do better, <laughs> be mindful. Um, don't be racist. Like that's not, that's not helpful. Uh, but to have, well, that's marginally helpful. Um, but most folks who work in our sectors are not, are not committed racist in the sense that if you give them a tool to do better, they will figure out how to do better. Um, and that we weren't equipping them with the tools to do better. And so we've increasingly done that. And so now we, we center equity as one of the three stools of, of effective management. That if you are having disparate impact, um, uh, that that's not sustainable and it's not successful. That it's not just you know that you produce results through your work, but those results are um, improving equity, um, improving sustainability, and that there it's not a slash and burn approach, right to management. Like one practical example that the management center helped me think about was. For example, on a job description, you know, asking someone to fill out a number of questions to in response to like for an applicant. And one, just the over-reliance traditionally on like writing as like the this sort of standard. So being aware that are you really hiring someone for their writing skills and is writing, you know, it's it's like the standard for most white run organizations, like how well are they writing? And also this other piece around can they can someone submit like an audio or a video recording of them answering the questions in addition to writing which like sort of like whatever is the most inclusive way that someone could 
meet the standards is going to like spread the net wider. So it was just super helpful insight from the team. Yeah, we, we try to get down to what are we testing for? What are we looking for? What are we screening for? And to be to be highly thoughtful about it. There are a bunch of, you know, preferences and traditions that exist in our organizations and in our own practices. Yeah. Can you talk about those? The PTRs? Yeah. So this notion of PTR, uh, preferences, traditions versus what the, what the requirement is to do well or the requirement that you're screening for. And so we push ourselves and our clients to think deeply about like that there are preferences, the things that the way we would like to things to be. Um, there, are, uh, there are traditions that, that grow out of those preferences. For instance, you ask people to submit a, submit a cover letter for a role where they're never going to have to write and for which you don't need to know about things in their uh, work history that don't fit into their resume. Then you do you need a cover letter? You also have to read the cover letter. Then there's all the bias of like you read the cover letter and they don't use their, their, or their correctly. And then they end up in the trash pile where you're not, they're not an editor and you don't need to know <laughs> um, how they write. Um, but like there may be a thing around uh, 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 actually coming up with plans that you will need uh, for in the course of their work or um a screening exercise that will be really helpful in differentiating given what the final role would be. And that might be the first thing you ask them to do or the thing you ask them to do in, in, instead of submitting a cover letter. And um, and to be able to really dig in and figure out what, where are, uh, where do I have my preferences or in my organization have our traditions that are not serving us in any aspect of the work. Like we, we started thinking about that with hiring but now we think that about many, many things about how we design roles and how we, what the expectations are around, uh, you know, there's this, all this uh, need to respond to emails within 24 hours. Well, I think customer service people and sort of folks who, um, whose role are super timely, they, they probably need to respond in 24 or 48 hours. But for every single role for that to be like, you have to be tied to your computer and your email, that just doesn't make sense. Um, but it's, it's a tradition now and, and a preference of somebody to have like fast rapid response um where that's not necessarily true and so um we've tried to like unearth that dig into it understand it more and come up with what i would call what i often call uh, richer proxies um like what is the thing we're actually measuring for um and can we have people do that and spend most of our time when we're thinking about hiring uh there as opposed to the things that are signaling yeah, they went to the right school, they went to school, um, they know the right people, uh, they're like me, they can write a cover letter and they know the difference between there, there, and there, or whatever, as opposed to um, do they have what is the must-have to do this job well? Are they really innovative or creative, um, uh, if that's what's needed for the role? Are they really crisp with the details, if that's really needed for the role? Um, and then letting go of that other stuff that is just like, well, but I had to do it. <laughs> I've got a job, which is often what we hear. It's like, well, I wouldn't we're like, right. Are they applying for your job? Uh, oh, oh no, they're not. Okay. Well then, you know, one just like a minutia question around sort of hiring rubrics versus guts. Like, obviously if there's no hiring rubric, standardized way to evaluate, you go on gut, you're going to have a ton of bias. I'm curious, do you recommend people strictly use the rubric? and use like no gut? Or is there like a balance? The reason I'm asking is there's one story, a colleague 
who used the rubric strictly and then ignored her gut and like the it was like her one bad hire quote unquote and so she was encouraging us to say yes use the rubric but also use your gut i'm just curious how what's your take on that general phenomenon well so um it just really depends on what it is i i i would say like i would want to know from more from your colleague what the thing was that that she was tracking that and why wasn't that on the rubric and is there a way to because the thing is about our gut is we live in a society that values certain people's intellectual efforts, uh, sees certain people's contributions more, hears, you know, it's a classic example of sitting in a meeting and uh, a woman or a non-binary person makes a point five minutes later, a man (laughs) makes the same point and everybody goes, oh my God, that was brilliant. Um, And, and people are like, well, I just, I literally just said that five minutes ago. And so there's a way in which it's like, if we're not all tracking for the same thing or tracking, evaluating the same thing, uh, and we're just going off our gut, our gut can mislead us because our gut is sadly full of the water we drink and the air we breathe, which is full of bias. Um, and uh, so uh, I, I love coaching. So I'm going to ask it just a little bit about like, what was the thing that your colleague knew in her gut that wasn't showing up on in the rubric? And could you have put it in the rubric so that it becomes clearer? A place that often comes up is this question fit um, is a place where people are like, I didn't think they would fit. And that is a weird, that can be a weird hidey hole for bias in the sense of like, well, what's the culture and what are they trying to fit into? Like, um, I once had a person come up to me in the, in a, in, in the break of a training and said, you know, I have this candidate, they're a finalist for a role and I'm just not sure the right person. And I said, tell me a little bit more about it. And they said, well, they're just not particularly sort of like warm and fuzzy. They're a little bit standoffish and a little cold. And I said, okay. Well, is there a role that they need to, they're, they are interacting with people where they need to create a warm, welcoming environment. Um, they're a team leader of a team that ha- uh, needs high emotional intelligence or is doing really difficult, detailed work. Um, they're a customer service facing person. Da, 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 da. They said, no, actually, they're a pet surgeon. I'm hiring a pet surgeon and they just have to come in and actually operate on people's pets and you know, a lot of that. And I was like, okay, well then they don't have to be warm and fuzzy. Like they just don't, if they, if they are really good with their hands and can a, a really great surgeon, that's actually the thing you're hiring for. You can have, you can have drinks with somebody else who you can be friendly with. Like they just need to do their job. And so, but there becomes this thing of like, what are we tracking for, for different roles? And we're on, we're a nice f- fuzzy place and everybody who has to work here has to have that disposition. Well, that's not probably true. Um, but so when I when you hear me say all that, what's 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 the thing? And could it have been documented in the rubric that this is something we're we're hiring for screening? That's super helpful. Thank you. If I were to take this broader big picture to like the movement level, do you see our movements for racial, economic justice, et cetera, being more effective? in the last few years because of like not just the management center, but is there like a more focus on like capacity building in movement organizations in, on, on a different level than maybe there was before? So I think it's coming back. Um, you know, I've been 
doing this work for a very long time. And, and there are moments where uh, capacity building surges and moments where capacity building recedes. I think, you know, we're still uh, uh, coming out of, or still, the, the social sector is still rebounding completely honestly from the Great Recession. And during the Great Recession, people went bare minimum, went bare bones. Let's just focus in. So now there is, folks are getting back to the point where they're thinking about, um, or were for the last number of years, getting back to a space of, um, we, you know, we have the resources and the institutional capacity to, 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 to get help. Um, and then we had the, the, the last five years, which have been uh, a special kind of hell. And so organizations have been like, under tremendous strain and while folks have taken capacity building more seriously um folks have been operating under capacity in terms of their own emotional intellectual spiritual well-being and so folks have been you know operating outside their outside of their boundaries as, as, as we like to say in the bay and are starting to try to catch their breath and and the pandemic has not helped and so Folks are taking it more seriously, looking for more help. It is not yet evenly or at movement levels manifested yet. I think what we've seen um, to try to you know, show you a little bit how my brain works is without that influx of support over the last number of years, the, the, it would have been free fall. It would have been just utter collapse. Um, but folks are struggling. Folks are really struggling on a day in and day out um, to to deal with um, the just rapidly changing environments of the issues we all work on, and um, uh, the shocks around social movements that have like um, you know uh, the Me Too movement has been transformative for the world and been transformative for the social sector. There was a lot of stuff that wasn't right in organizations. And folks papered it over and pretended. And then folks had to have a sort of like, we had a Me Too moment in the movement. And so that actually was destabilizing for some folks because they had agreed to be complicit <laughs> and then had to be like, ooh, wait a minute, right? And then the, the you know, the murder of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and the sort of the push around Black Lives Matter, um, the, the social sector as you know, as, as much as we care, had not been good and had not had evenly a, a good track record on actually dealing well with Black folks and Black folks on their own staff. And so there needs to be a reconciliation and, and, and there. And some folks have done well, other folks have not done as well. And so, and without our work, uh, the work of Rockwood, the work of uh, 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 Transformative Change, the work of many other organizations, um, it would be so much harder <laughs> and you would see uh, more folks on the side of the road, laid out, laid up, calling it quits, uh, hanging up their cleats for want of a better term to say like, yeah, I'm done. And I think folks are staying in the fight and it's still hard. Just some of the COVID resources even that you all have is, is like, let's give folks it can't just be, how do you do performance reviews? It's like, no, we're in COVID now and like everyone's remote. And, and so, yeah, being responsive to that. I'm curious, is there anything, this could be professional or personal. What are you most excited about right now? Like what's giving you juice to get up and go throughout your day? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a number of things. One, I am, uh, 
in my spare time, I am the uh, chair of the board for Greenpeace Inc. US. And um, yeah, um, for some reason, it wasn't on the bio we sent you because I'm, my bio is too freaking long. And so it's, everything's not on there. But yes, I am on the, the, the chair of the board of Greenpeace Inc. And we just uh, uh, today announced our new uh, uh, director of programs who comes out of the labor movement, um, who is the executive vice president of AFL-CIO, uh, uh, Tafari Garba, who is going to join Greenpeace and, and what he said, and I got to be on a snap call with him today, where he said, "I'm not leaving the uh, I'm not leaving the labor movement. I'm bringing the labor movement to the to the environmental movement and to the climate movement." And uh, goosebumps, goosebumps, dang near tears, like wow. Um, so that's the thing that's up for me. The second is that you know I think that what TMC is up to still has growing edges. We still have a ways to go around being super effective. Um, and helping, uh, with certain organizations in certain moments, uh, we have to get bigger because there's too few of us doing this work. And there are times when, you know, um, folks call us and they say, uh, we need help. And then we go, cool, cool, cool. Give us, uh, 10 weeks and we'll, we'll be able to get to you. And that's just like, no, they need it now because they have stuff that's going and coming. Um, and then folks, uh, do this work where they grow and they hire, 10 new middle managers because they just grew a lot and they're saying, we want to do in-house training with you and want to do coaching for those people. And we go, well, you can do the training, but I don't have a, I don't have a coach for you. Uh, let me refer you to, and then there's nobody else. And so we, and, and we have, uh, uh, are thinking hard and have some exciting ideas. We're going to begin to try and pilot around growing our services to be able to help more folks is the stuff that gets me excited. And then, the other is that, it, it, you know, even on days when I, when you, like today, w- w- where I wake up to the news that uh, Russia is invading the Ukraine, that watching uh, folks, though, plan to take to the streets and oppose wars, um, watching the analysis of young people who understand how to connect what is happening in global geopolitics to what is happening in their neighborhoods um, and their organizing um, is inspiring because it's not just what um, global powers are doing or the folks who are despoiling the world or trying to mount coups in this country or abroad um, are doing. It is also what folks who are on the side of justice are doing. Um, and so trying to, uh, not, not take my eyes off of, or not look away from the horror and the pain. Um, but also trying to notice, um, that there is a response that our folks are mounting and a transcendent response that is not just about how do I undo or respond to this, but how do I get to where I'm trying to actually be? What is where I'm trying, how do I actually create the economy, the social relations, uh, the culture um, that I actually want to live in and not just how do I respond to the onslaught from, from folks who are trying to dominate and control and despoil. Um, and that's exciting to see that that level of innovation, that level of grit, that level of uh, joy and creativity flourishing is exciting to me. And so I'm trying to um, pay attention to the whole thing 
and not just let my eyes focus in on the on the carnage. I really resonate with that. I'm I'm like avoiding the news media today. <laughs> I'm like I can't handle it, man. Sorry, I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to bring it in. I didn't mean. To. No, no, this is great. I I really appreciate that because it's like what is what's on Yes Magazine or what what are the what are the wins? Because there's often so much despair and carnage, like you said, and so yeah, it's helpful for me to hear hear you also struggling with that. Yeah. I mean, the thing I would say that at least it's, it's, it's my analysis and it's, it's, it is a profoundly destabilizing time. It's not just us. And that means it's, a, it's the world is at play. <laughs> like when it's just like when there's a monolith and no matter what you do, it feels like nothing changes. That's hard. When you're in this moment where it's like, it's just teetering and it's just like, what the hell is going on? Well, that's when it's like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> we, we could actually, we could do something. You know what I mean? It's a, the metaphor I used this weekend is, is, is it's like a, it's a loose ball. And that is like not settling. <laughs> um, and it is not, uh, set where you're just like, well, I don't know what we're going to be able to do ever or if anything we're doing matters. It's like, no, actually. Right now, it actually really, you could imagine and see a path where you could actually create, and there's the room to create, in the past, what we've thought of as alternative economies, but they're not alternative when that's the economy. <laughs> like, when that's the economy, then it's like, oh, that's not an alternative. We're actually creating, we're, we're building an economy right now. Because this economy is not working for people, so we're building a different economy. That is interesting, and that's terrifying. Now, I'm not don't I'm not don't want to act like it's not. Um, and there's room to do that because the economy that we have isn't working for people and the planet. And so that gives me hope is that folks are ha- have something. If if it was 30 years ago where I was like, yeah, I don't know what we're gonna do. <laughs> it's like, uh, we don't have no ideas. We don't have no resources. I would be worried. But right now we have ideas, we have resources, we can compete for um, the future of the economy, the future of our cities, the future of, uh, I struggle to call it our democracy as a black person, but the future of this country's democracy. We can struggle for that and have an alternative point of view and resources and ideas that are vibrant and on the move. And that gives me hope. And the loose ball analogy really resonated. <laughs> I was like, have we been practicing going 100% for loose balls? Because if we're going 30% at the loose ball, right wing Donald Trump's been doing his jumps at the... <laughs> so we got to go harder. <laughs> this is the time for... Uh, yeah. You give, you give it... If, if it's 50... Even if it's... You know, it's not a 50-50 ball. If you effort... It's about effort right now. In key moments. Not in every moment. Because this we're not done. We have a long ways to go, but, but there are some moments where that, the main question is effort. Are we going to try harder? Are we going to push harder? And then to seek those moments and to, to give it all in those moments, I think will be important. How is your balance with self-care and like, how are you sort of staying sane these days? I became a pandemic cyclist. Um, I, I uh, had a steel frame bike from the 80s. And during the pandemic, you know, a year ago, uh, next month, uh, no, two years ago, next month, I uh, just started like getting up early and going for little rides, 5, 10, 15 miles. I took my bike into the shop to get it like tweaked because it had been years. 
and then like got the bike, you know, did a 20 mile ride and was like, okay, got the bike shorts and did the whole thing. Like, okay, so this is, this is one way that I stay in it. Um, the other is, um, prayer and meditation. Um, like, yeah, I'm, I meditate, I pray, uh, I have dinner, I have as dinner as many nights a week as I can with my family where we all sit down at the table together and, um, and try to connect and talk about what we learned, what we're dealing with, listen to each other, um, those sorts of things. And then, yeah, doing things that bring other people in my life joy. So my wife loves to be in nature, so we go to nature. Uh, we, one of the, the young people who lives in my home loves thrifting, so we go thrifting. And, you know, that, that sort of thing to do, to do things that they enjoy on the terms that they enjoy them. Love it. At, at my dinner table, we have a five-year-old and a seven-year-old, and we've been using – my brother brought us this question, like, what's your rose and your thorn from the day, and what's your bud? Like, you know, yes. so one, one good thing, one not good thing, and then what's on the horizon. That's like, my kids love that one. So, <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So a few years ago, I brought home fist to fist. Of oh, yeah. There you go. Whereas like, how was your day? You know, from uh, like, it was shit to, it was, it was amazing. Well, what's next for you? What are you looking at in the near or longer term? Yeah, so we are gonna uh, do a new edition of Managing to Change the World, uh, which is our book that's been around for a number of years, and we give it to everybody who goes through our trainings. Uh, now, I think a PDF copy. We're gonna do it, and we're gonna. Uh, it's gonna be a new draft of the book, a new, actually, excuse me, a new edition of the book, um, where we really, just as we've integrated equity and belonging and sustainability into the training and into our coaching, we're gonna integrate that into the book more, more fully. Um, and so that it, it, it matches. And then we're looking uh, uh, to move to a place where our uh, our training, uh, we have a fully, I would say, uh, online education uh, wing. So we went online rapidly, like many people during the start of the pandemic. And the trainings that we've been doing are really good. And they are a a flip from what we used to do on in person to online. There's so much more you could do online than, than, um, and, th- and our trainings are good and our trainers are amazing. And, um, we don't have like a, what I would say a digital native training yet that it's still like a online version of the in-person training, which is good, but you know, I think there's more to be done there. And so that's another place we're doing. And then we're, we are thinking about again, how do we grow our impact? So what are the, so th- th- that piece is like us getting bigger and having more folks on our staff while preserving being really concrete and useful to our clients. And then we have some stuff coming around, like how do we start sharing some of even what makes uh, our, our coaching practices so that other people learn to do what our coaches know, know how to do so that we can um, work in networks and in bigger organizations and institutions where one coach or even two coaches isn't going to get it, but you need more people in there who are helping folks spot um, and move towards solution as managers. And then our staff training work is going to continue to grow where we're helping folks think about how do you manage projects? um, How do you be an individual contributor that is doing the most for your organization? 
Yeah. So those are the things. And then we have some really exciting partnerships, which are, you know, in some particular key states, or which we think will be through our, 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 uh, our TMAC arm, which is our, uh, the management action center, uh, where we do sort of more electoral stuff and more uh, direct um, engagement. Uh, and so we're looking at some states there for, for this election cycle and uh, 2024, what we're excited about doing. Um, so there's lots more on the horizon and uh, managementcenter.org. Keep, keep, in, keep up to date with us. Yeah. One of the last questions is, what do you need right now and how can the listeners help you grow this next economy? Yeah. Our hiring stuff is amazing and we need richer pools and we need more steps. And so people who really have thought a lot about, because um, there are a lot of folks who go through our hiring process who are close, but not yet ready. And then we don't have the epic bandwidth to help them get ready. And so um, we're beginning to explore that. So any of your listeners who know stuff about like, how do you help add rungs to the ladder in terms of that work? Because we're really good at taking folks who are really good and putting them in front of people. And then we're not as good because we just haven't, don't have the bandwidth of taking folks who are, who will be really good one day and then giving them those reps inside of our organization to get better, to get there. And so um, we turn down a lot of stellar candidates, um, literally hundreds every year um, because we're like, Oh, you, you one day you're going to be it, but we don't have, we don't have a developmental league, I suppose is the thing I would say if we use the sports analogy. And so we're trying to think through how do we build that how do we build that D League as they say G League man G League yeah, well we Gatorade is not our sponsor so <laughs> you know we'll see if we can get we'll be the O League we'll get Adwala I don't know Ben and Jerry's the B and J League I yeah. don't know that's not that's our brand anyway yeah but 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 you see what I'm saying that's the thing we're trying to build over the next few years to get us to the place where we can really scale to to be as helpful to the movements as we can be. Uh, that's the place that I'm looking to crack for my tenure. Great. Well, as you said, managementcenter.org for folks who are interested. Jakarta, thanks so much. I, you know, personally, I really benefited from everything that your organization is up to. And so, I just really want to shout you all out as, as a shiny example of you know, folks doing really critical work. And so, thanks for, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Next Economy Now is a production of Lyft Economy. To listen to all of our episodes, go to lifteconomy.com slash podcast. That's L-I-F-T economy.com slash podcast. You can also sign up for our monthly newsletter at lifteconomy.com slash newsletter. Please also rate and review our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.